the hardest part about dealing with children compared to adults is the parents. <laughs> is the parents dealing with the adults? Uh, I don't have any hard time dealing with kids ever. It's the parents who are like, but, but, what do you mean? They're the, they're the much more challenging ones. The kids I love, um, you know, but um, so that's, the, that's, my, that's my quick answer. The, actually, the hardest part about dealing with, with children versus adults is um, you have to think more. There's a lot more thinking that has to go into a pediatric adjustment. That's why, and here, this is, I don't know if this is part of that question, but I'm going to answer it anyway. Do not make the mistake and not charge for kids. I have friends and colleagues who say, oh, I, I just all the kids in my pets for free. I'm like, it takes a lot more skill and thinking to adjust a kid than it does an adult. I can adjust adults in my sleep. A kid, I have to really think about what I'm doing because it's, it's much more specific, much more much smaller, and usually I'm doing a different kind of technique on some of the kids that I see. Um, so, uh, so I hear that all the time. So, so for, in my practice, I charge per person. I don't care what age they are. It has nothing to do with how old or young they are. It is person one in the like what, especially in my practice, 85% of the time the, the kid is the first person in my practice. So if I charge nothing for that, I have a hard time surviving. Um, so I charging for kids, I think is very important. Um, and and I, that to me, the hardest part is is the extra thought, which I'm like, I'm you know, I like thinking. So it's like kind of me. I love learning new things, so I'm okay with that. Um, okay, next question. <laughs> okay, good question. Oh, thank you, Paul. Okay, so why are you not having associates and open more days a week? <laughs> oh, boy. Um, I'm going to skip the why I'm not having associates because you don't want to hear my answer about that. Um, uh, but why am I not open more days a week? Well, um, I love being open three days a week. Uh, I used to be open six days a week. Uh, I'm in practice 32 years. I don't want to be open six days a week anymore. Um, after 32 years, I'm allowed to, to, to do less. Uh, and here's the interesting thing. When COVID occurred, I was still, I was still opening, let's see, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We were like four and a half days a week when COVID hit. Uh, and then when COVID hit, we closed uh, Tuesdays and Saturdays, and my practice didn't do anything different. Uh, and I'm like, if I'm seeing the same amount of people, and I'm working three days a week instead of five, four days, or five days, or six days a week, why not? Um, so we just can kind of compress the time. Uh, and now what I do, you know, on Thursdays, obviously I'm I'm here all day, so I obviously can't do that. Um, but on um, Tuesdays, I now do a lot of preparation work for like ICPA and others I do a lot of other talks now and stuff outside so that's why um, that's why I'm not open as many days as I'd like to and honestly I think it's a great thing because as a chiropractor you do not have to have a five-day work week working 50 hours right you can work as much or as little as you want right and, and what an amazing thing and that's a great thing especially if you want to have a family right if you someone wants to have kids have kids work three days a week, only in the afternoons. I have friends of mine, that's what they do. When they have babies, they just say, I'm just not gonna work except for the hours I wanna work. Um, so this is not all about the money, right? If you say, if you think oh, it's all about the money, then you want to work more hours and open more offices and that kind of stuff. But for me, it's not about the money. It's about, the, I just have fun. Like I go to work to play, personally. Um, all right, this is long. 
Um, so this question is, how to grow your pediatric practice in a small town that does not have another pediatric chiropractor, does not know or has never experienced pediatric chiropractic care? <clears throat> okay, that's a great question. So um, this is the opposite of like going to a, a place where there's a million chiropractors uh, and setting yourself apart. Um, now you're just, to me, I think that's kind of cool because you're like you're you're starting from scratch, and what a great thing that is because now you have a chance to educate that whole community, right? So if I had that opportunity, if I was going to a small town that knew nothing about this, I would get involved in whatever major civic organizations were there. So whatever church groups and Rotary clubs and you know Kiwanis and God knows what else is out there. Um, uh, and I would get very, very involved in those groups, and I would do all kinds of lectures and talks with them, and 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 uh, network networking clubs at BNI and those kind of things. I would really network myself very, very well if I was starting out completely uh, fresh. Um, and I would teach them about what it is that you do, and how what it is you do is different than what they think it is that chiropractors do. And I think that would be amazing. Um, but here, here's the deal. It's like you're, you guys, when you graduate, either are going to forge new ground somewhere or do whatever everybody else is already doing. So if you do what everybody else is already doing, then don't be surprised that you'll get what everybody else is getting. But if you want something different, you'll do something different. And when you do something different, that's when amazing things you know, can happen. But you, but you got to be willing to do something different, and especially in your first year or two, that's when you better your your feet better be hitting the pavement. Don't just trust Facebook and Instagram to do your advertising for you. Facebook and Instagram is amazing, but it's not enough in the beginning. It's enough as you get into practice. You've been in practice for a while. You can use that almost completely. But in the beginning, you got to hit the pavement, and shake hands, and meet people, and do talks, and do screenings, and do lectures, and get involved in every civic organization that you can get yourself involved with just to get to know people so that they know who you are. And when they think about chiropractic, they think about you. Good question. Two questions. What's your experience with midwifery and doulas in your practice? How should we plan to develop working relations with them as a chiropractor? So uh, I have midwives and doulas who refer to me regularly. Um, I think they're amazing. Uh, and some midwives are home birthers and some midwives are, you know, hospital uh, midwives. And um, I, I think that it's, it's great to, to build a relationship uh, with them. I, I wouldn't rely, I don't rely on any one source of referrals. So you have to make that part of your plan, right? So you need to get to know the midwives and the doulas and the lactation consultants and the OBs and the pediatricians and the lawyers and, you know, anybody else that's, uh, Going to OTs and the PTs for pediatric, you know, care. You need to kind of get speech therapists. You need to know all these different people in your area. So and that's what I mean by that. That first year or two, you're spending a lot of time shaking hands and meeting people and talking um, and building relationships. But that's that's your goal in the first two years is to <clears throat> like you don't need to work six days a week in the office. You work three days a week in the office and three days a week you're out there shaking hands and doing talks <clears throat> and stuff. So nobody says there's no rule that says a chiropractor has to work 50 hours a week in a building in a, in their office space. You should work three days a week, in my opinion, and spend Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday out there meeting people and doing talks and doing you know going to Rotary clubs and 
church, you know, clubs and that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Have you ever had any pregnant moms come in with drug addiction? Oh, wow. And affected the child. How did you help them? What changes did you see? That's a great question. I've never had a pregnant mama come in with, as a drug uh, addicted person. I have had many fetal alcohol syndrome babies, crack babies, and other sorts of babies who had a lot of drug addictions. Um, and for them, <clears throat> we do the same thing that any other, I would do with any other child with any other uh, serious kind of issue is number one, make sure they're being co-managed well. Uh, that they have, you know, good care with OTs, etc., because they're going to have to have a lot of extra care. <clears throat> and number two, you want to make sure that um, your your everything I do, as I mentioned a zillion times, is based upon their neurology. So what we do is, <clears throat> at the first visit, I essentially figure out where they're at. Right. So my first visit is, where are you in the screen in the scheme of things? So if you have a million primitive reflexes and your eyes are a mess and your, your, your brain is, is not where it should be, then I'm starting tonal. And I don't change that until at a re-exam I see improvement. If I don't see improvement, I stay there. If I do see improvement, then I will start to add some very gentle sustained contact. I'll start to add very gentle activator and I'll slowly kind of work my way up, right? So everything is based on, if your nervous system is really bad, I'm doing tonal. Your system is okay. I'm doing some, maybe starts a little bit of tonal, but then I'm doing some gentle instrument-based adjusting. If it's doing great, then I'm going more towards specific osseous or other kind of activator, more uh, specific activator adjustments. So I have three levels of adjustments based upon where they are neurologically. Um, and most of these kids I've seen who are feel alcohol syndrome, et cetera, uh, or crack babies, et cetera, they're all starting at the tonal level because there's such a, their nervous system is so uh, tragically hurt. Good question. These are excellent questions. Hmm. Wow. Okay. I've never been asked this one. I uh, wasn't up in school. Uh, what is my, uh, uh, my position on circumcision for boys? <clears throat> okay. Circumcision is a Jewish ritual that um, is actually in the Torah, which is part of the, the Jewish holy uh, scriptures. Um, so for someone of the Jewish persuasion, um, it makes sense to do circumcision because it's part of the law, quote unquote. It's like a commandment. Um, uh, for anybody else, Circumcision is more of a cosmetic thing uh, because you want to look like daddy or other boys, etc. Uh, and that is really a personal decision. So um, I usually tell people who ask me this in my practice because I've had a few, you know, if you're if you're not doing it for a religious reason, then it's a philosophical thing. What do you want to do? If you want your child to have a certain look or not. It, it's is because and the whole point of like oh it, it's not clean and this and that that's all bunk um you it's just as clean as any other part it could be clean just have to teach the child how to clean it which is definitely harder if the father of that child does not is circumcised then it's obviously harder because they don't know how to clean it as well um but so it's, it's really a philosophical decision um so that's a it's a tough one uh, to answer 
but certainly if there's religion, and it's not just uh, people who are in the Jewish faith, some other faiths require circumcision too. So um, if it doesn't, if there's no requirement for it in your faith, then um, it's really a, a philosophical decision. But that's an interesting question though. Tips on how to market to kids and families. Okay, good. And how to price care plans to be family friendly. Excellent, great question. So tips on how to market. So here is, so I, I already told you one major tip on marketing, which is the first year or two, you're gonna be out there shaking hands, doing talks and getting involved in civic organizations. Um, you know, get involved in your Rotary, your Kiwanis, your, your church organizations or temple or whatever, you know, your men's club, your women's club, et cetera. Get involved in those kind of things. Get, play some sports. You know, get involved in like if you play tennis, get involved in tennis league. If you play soccer, get involved in soccer league. These are these are great, great, great things to do. Number one. Number two is you're going to meet with as many practitioner health practitioners as you can. You're going to go to your OBs and your midwives and all those kind of things I just named before. Get to know all those different people. That's number number two. Number three. Before you start, here is what you should do before you start. This is what I did two different times, both when I opened up my practice in Jersey and when I opened up my practice here, is you do a survey. You do a survey. And what you do is you walk around, you have a clipboard with a pen and a stack full of business cards. And you walk into every business, not homes, you know, survey homes. You walk into every small business in your area, not big businesses, because you're not going to talk that, you know, don't go to IBM or whatever, that's just going to be a waste. But you go into, let's say, you know, like I, I work in a, a small community of, of businesses. So I walked around the, the little village that I, I work in and I introduced myself to every single person. I said, hi, I'm Dr. Rubin. And I am opening up a practice, practice right over here in this village. What do you think about this area? So I didn't say, you know, do you want to come in to be my patient or whatever? I just said, what do you think about this area? And, and you go at a right time. Like, you know, if they're like 20,000 customers, don't talk to them, man. Like, don't be rude. Uh, you just introduce yourself and say, I just, I'm, you know, Dr. Lee, open up over here. I'll come back later when you have more time. So I'd really love to, to talk to you about this area. But, if, you know, you go, so go in the morning or some kind of, some lull during the afternoon. What do you think about this area? And invariably, people are nice and like, oh, that's great. You're a chiropractor. That's excellent. Yeah, I'm right over there. Oh, so I think this area is great, you know. Uh, and, I just want to, I'm so glad I opened up this guy because I used to work here. And I tell you a whole story. You go, oh, okay, interesting, interesting, interesting. And then you say, so like, what organizations do you belong to? Oh, I belong to XYZ Church over here. And I belong to the Rotary over there. And I belong to this BNI over here. And you write everything down. Even if you're not interested in whatsoever, what is the person, uh-huh, uh-huh, interesting. Interesting, BNI, okay, that's cool. Do you have any contact information for that? Okay, great, thank you. Um, and then at the end, so you, you talk for two minutes. And then you say, hey, you know what? Johnny, it was really nice meeting you. Um, here's, you know, my card. Do you have a card, a business card? And you get their business card because almost most business owners have a card. Would you mind if I invited you to my open house? Because you're doing this about a month before you start. Would you mind if I invited you to my open house? Oh no, not at all. You know, you seem like a nice person. I think you do you know, really well in your in your practice. Thank you. Uh, and now you have an invitation that you know you're going to send to this particular person, right? That's how 99% of the conversations go. Well, maybe 90. 10% of the conversations will go like this. You talk, what do you think about this area? What organizations do you belong to? This and that. Um, then you, what you're going to do is you're going to say, the, he's the person as they're, you say, hey, do 
you have a business card? It was really nice meeting you. You have a business card? Yes. Hey, so, so you said you're a chiropractor, yeah? Well, you know, my wife, or, you know, I have this pain, or my child this, or what, and then now you enter into a whole other conversation, right? <clears throat> this happens about 10% of the time. So you say, okay, well, as a way of thank you of like introducing myself to the neighborhood, what I'm doing for all my pa my new patients like yourself or like your mom or you know, baby or whatever is I'm only charging and you come up with some number, but let's just say $50. I'm only charging $50 for your first exam and half of it. This is the key. Half of it. I'm giving to XYZ charity. Now you've got to find out local charity, local, not I'm giving to make a wish or Chola, or even though they're great organizations, but you, you find a local charity and you find this just by talking to people, you find out, you know, unfortunately this person, they lost their, you know, house because of a fire, whatever, or this person just passed away, unfortunately from cancer and they're gonna be homeless. And, and you, you get, you, you hear every, every community's got this stuff going on. You especially go to churches or temples and you hear some of these, you know, very horrible stories going on. Well, I am donating to the Save Johnny's Family Fund because, you know, I heard that Johnny passed away suddenly last week and you know, have to have a you're going to donate to Save the Johnny's Family Fund? Yeah. Wow. Not only am I going to think myself and my wife, I'm going to tell all my friends about this. And now you are cooking because because remember, in the beginning, it's not about the money. It's about what are you, what are you going to be for the neighborhood, right? So you just connected in a really good way. So I, <clears throat> you do this, here's the key. In a month's time, your goal is to avoid 500 business cards. 500 business cards. Because with 500 business cards, what's 10% of that? 50. So you're gonna get 50 new patient appointments if you give away 500 business cards. And let's just be honest, 50 won't show up, but 30 will. You get 30 new patients your first week, You'll be seeing by the end of the month, 100 new patients, 100 patients a, a week, easy, because those three new patients are coming in twice a week, and then they will refer people, right? And then they will refer people, and you have this because that's how it works in mostly in, in the beginning, and you're going to be golden, right? It's a great way to start. So this survey was was unbelievable way for me to get people in the door in that early time. And yes, I didn't make as much money as I could have if I said everybody's my normal you know, exam fee, but I want people in the door quick because once you get them in, you got to, that first month is your critical time. You got to get out there and you got to run like heck. And the way to do that is to get 30 to 50 new patients in, in your first month. And anybody who I've ever told to do this has done it. All the former interns I've had have done it, other students I've told us to have done it, have done great with this. It's just a great way to start and it's super easy. So it's a three-step process. You get involved in the community, you, you know, do no talks and that kind of stuff in organizations. You do this, you know, kind of survey, <clears throat> and you get start getting involved with the professionals in the area, the OBs and the wives and all that kind of stuff. And how to price family plans. So the way you're going to price family plans <clears throat> is it really depends on your area. So you got to find out what is an affordable adjustment fee for your area. So let's just say it's $50 per adjustment as an example. <clears throat> and let's say you expect to see someone, uh, any new patient that you see two times a week, as a, just let's be easy, two times a week for in a month's time. 
So that's 100, 200, that's 400 dollars in a month, right? Not many people can bring a whole family in if you have that person plus is that you know the kid at 400, and then the mom at 400, and then the dad at 400. So now you're at you know four times three, twelve hundred dollars a month. People aren't paying that, right? So you got to come up with the amount. So what you do is you come up with an amount that's fair and equitable for you and for them. And I usually base it upon something like what would be if they were paying a co-payment? What would be a good co-payment? So most co-payments like twenty, thirty dollars per adjustment. So that's what you're, that's what you kind of base your number on, and then instead of them paying 40 or $50, $50 per adjustment, they're going to pay essentially per month. So you create a monthly payment that would be somewhere between just paying their co-payments if they had insurance, because you're not going to pay, if you take insurance, because we, like, we won't, or if they're paying full price. So you come up with a number in between. And that's how you create a good monthly amount. And that's your first person. And then you're for any additional people, you don't double it. Come up with whatever's comfortable for you, so that let's say the let's say the first person in the family is 300 a month, and then the second person is an additional 150, and the third person is an additional 50, and so you, you, you don't start exponentially growing at 300, 600, 900. You say 300, and that's like 400, and that's like 500. So it's it's not this crazy amount of money that they have to pay every single month. So you come up with a very affordable plan and make that that money based upon your area. So if you're living in the middle of New York City, you know, at, on Park Avenue, you're going to have a much higher fee than if you're living in a small, a very rural town where there's not a lot of people and you're the only chiropractor within miles. You know, you have to come up with what, you know, where where you're where you are is the what's the best fee for that. All right? Excellent. So any any other questions before we wrap up here? Any other questions? Yeah, yeah. Um, I wanted to ask about the legal aspect. Like, you've been in practice a long time. Have you been confronted with someone trying to sue you because of the practice or maybe the outcome you're expecting did not come out the way they wanted? And what would be your um, advice to avoid that's a great question. So um, the the to to avoid being sued, <laughs> this might sound kind of funny, but to avoid being sued be really nice. Uh, I'll tell you that it's helped over the years. Um, and here's the number one thing that I do. Um, I've had some disgruntled patients, of course, over the years. There's always some, someone's not going to like something you do. Give your money back. Give them the money back. I have had friends who are like, I am not going to give that money back. I said, well, you're going to get, well, something worse, right? So if you want something worse, then go ahead and do that. But I'm like, you know, this one guy a couple of years ago, I should never accept him as a patient. He won. He was in a lot of pain. He wanted a regular adjustment, not accurate adjustment. He was just like, he was trying to dictate stuff, but he was a referral from a very good patient. So I, I felt bad and I felt like I had to take him. And in future times, I have refused patients like this because of this particular person. Um, and he was just like, rah, 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 you did this, rah, 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 this activator. Rah, rah, rah. And I said, and he, he was making all kinds of crazy threats. I said, here's your money. Shut him up. Take money. Here's your first visit fee, your x-ray fee, and the whole first month fee. Take it back. He's like, oh, okay. That's all I wanted. Anyways, out of my hair. And so I'm telling you, one of the best things you can do if someone threatens you, Here's your money back. You don't need their money. 
because what's coming next will, will be hundreds of thousands of dollars of aggravation, time, energy, effort, lawyers, courts, blah, blah, blah. You don't need it. Just give them their money. Yeah. How would you release those patients? Well, I didn't have to release him. He released himself. Right. Uh, but if I if I was going to release him, I'd say, you know, I'm more, and this is what I've done since then. I'm much more of a pediatric-based practice, so we just don't deal with this kind of stuff. Um, uh, so even though I, I appreciate that Johnny referred you here, um, uh, you know, Johnny started before I became like mostly pediatric. So right now, it's, my focus is pediatric. So it, it, what's with your case isn't really the kind of thing I focus on. So I, re I really appreciate you coming in here or calling us or whatever. But here's three other chiropractors that you can go to within this area that I know are very good and deal with this kind of stuff more. Like I don't even take Medicare patients anymore. I have Medicare patients call me up and my staff is instructed to say, we refer them to one of these three chiropractors in the area because I won't even take it on anymore. And people are totally fine with that. Yeah. Do you have any um, like key pieces for us bridging the gap from being student to open, like opening our own practice? Like have six months expenses in the bank or like anything that you would suggest that maybe helped you or that you wish you would have done? Yeah, that's a great question, Janine. So um, are there any things that I would say that would help your bridge? Yeah, well, here's the most important thing. You're a doctor now. You're not a doctor when you graduate. When are you graduating? Uh, September. Yeah, so you're already a doctor. You know, you're gonna be a doctor like in a week, but but officially, right? But 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 you're you're already a doctor too, right? And that the the biggest single hang-up I had in my brain was this, because when I graduated, uh, I have a lot of gray hair now, if you haven't noticed. Um, but when I graduated, my first patient who came into the office said, "Where's the doctor?" <laughs> because I looked like such a kid. I looked like such a little kid. You, you can talk to Lisa about that. She, she, she knows all about this. I was, I, I had such a baby face it was before I had gray hair and stuff. Um, and uh, I couldn't get that out of my head that, that I was like, who am I, right? I'm some young kid with no business experience, with no, no money, no nothing. And who am I to do this opening up a practice? But it took me years of training my brain, listening to things like Zig Ziglar and Tony Robbins and Jim Rohn uh, and uh, reading books like Think and Grow Rich. Uh, that book is like, that book was like unbelievable for me to change. Think and Grow Rich, Napoleon Hill. Think and Grow Rich it was written in the 1930s. Um, it's, there's parts of it that are a little weird, so I will grant you that. But, you know, it was the 30s. Um, but it changed my mindset Jeanine, from saying, who am I to saying, I have a burning desire to serve. And that burning desire is bigger than the, who am I that's in my brain. Um, and so, so if I, and, and I didn't know that when I first graduated, it took me a couple of years to really figure that out, that I am worth it. And it's not, it's not me, not like me versus another person, but I'm okay. And even though I'm a little kid from a little town, grew up with nothing and, you know, had parents who just gave me a whole lot of love but couldn't give me any kind of financial education or freedom, um, I can make it myself because I know how to serve. And I will outserve anybody. 
And that's what Lisa and I kind of, how we've gotten to where we are today is we outserve anybody. And that's what, that's what makes you win. Is not the amount of money or the amount of things or the houses or the trips or whatever. It's the service that you give. But you got to be okay with it. And you got to be okay with that exchange. In the beginning, I wasn't okay with that exchange. Right? Because I was like, I'm a poor kid. I can't even afford meat, you know? So I had to get that out of my head. But listening to Zig Ziglar and listening to Jim Rohn and reading books like the Think and Grow Rich, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, another unbelievable life-changing book for me. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey. Holy cow. I went through those exercises and it was life-changing. Um, so, but nobody taught me that when I was in school. I learned that, it took me like three years to kind of start learning all this kind of stuff. 